what an honor it is to be back with you. I was here a few years ago, but down at the daycare, what an amazing transformation you have made as a church over the last, what, four or five years? And I know uh, with Brother Marshall, we spent a lot of time in our prayer groups and talking about the situations going through here and the things that needed to be done in building a new church and all the construction things. So in a sense, we felt like we lived through a lot of it with him and with you. I am just so happy for you that you have this wonderful facility to be able to come together and to worship God. I know it's a lot of hard work and sweat and tears and prayers and sacrifice, but how wonderful it is that you can worship in this place. I want to thank Caleb and all the music ministers for leading us in awesome worship. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. We do appreciate it. Brother Marshall is one of my very special friends. And it's such an honor to be able to stand here in his pulpit this morning and share with you his flock. So I just pray that God will bless us in a special way as we spend these moments together this morning. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to receive from you what you have for us today. Help us, Lord, so that every one of us may grow, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His mighty name that we pray. Amen. Don't let this get in your way this morning. Uh, I was trying to be nice and fix supper for my wife Friday night and slicing the vegetables and cut off a big chunk of my finger. So I ended up having to go to the emergency room. But just try to ignore it much as you can. You know, there are a lot of terms that are used in the New Testament, what Christians are called. But I think one of the greatest terms is what the Lord Jesus said to the disciples. When he said, you are my friends. Friends. John 15 Verses 13 through 16. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do the things I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants do not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father I have made known unto you. You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You know, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus called those people into discipleship such as they were, such as we are. And he called them 
friends. I don't think there's a greater word or a more beautiful word to talk about in a sense of relationship. Friend. One of the most intimate titles we can have in a relationship. Every other relationship can exist without friendship. Understand me. We may think, oh, well, marriage is the most intimate relationship. But it is possible even for that marriage relationship to exist without friendship being there. Happy indeed is the man who can talk about his wife and say, she's my friend. The wife who can talk about her husband, he's my friend. We hear a lot of people say, as they speak about their spouse, and then they add on, my best friend. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's something extra in the relationship. Now, we may know a person, we may admire a person, have a lot of association with them. We think we know them. We think we could say, well, I know old so-and-so pretty well. But even so, there may not be friendship. Friendship is that something extra, that little bit extra. When Jesus said, you are my friends, he was going beyond, you're my disciples, you're my followers. He was going beyond that. He could have called them other names. But when he said, you're my friends, he went beyond anything else. And I think that the Lord found the most complete satisfaction in his heart with this word. To say, you are my friends. That was as far as anybody could possibly go. I really don't think there's anything beyond it when you're talking about a relationship. You reach the end of all relationships when you come to true friendship. How rich it is, how precious it is. When I think of friends, I, I can't help but think about our pastor's prayer group. We're friends. We're friends. How often we say to one another, don't worry, I got you back. As we pray for one another as we have been able to open our hearts in some of our deepest and darkest times with the brothers around us and share, we have a friendship in the deepest sense of the word. And I'm so thankful to God for what He's given us over these almost 12 years that we've been meeting together. This is our 12th time to have the pulpit exchange. So, what's the meaning of friendship? Going back to John 15. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the Lord's doing. But I've called you friends because I have heard from the Father and I have made it known to you. Think about that. What Jesus had learned from God, He had shared Every 
thing with those disciples. Friendship is that position in life with another person where you can just open up your heart to that person. Keep nothing back. You have the confidence that you can trust the other person with what you're saying. With the deep things on your heart. Jesus said, if whatever the Father shown me, I've, I've kept nothing back from you. I've put perfect confidence in you. Jesus said, I've had no suspicions of you. I haven't been afraid to say what was on my heart. I grew up in a very small town up in North Louisiana. And when the time in which I grew up, people kept a lot of secrets. They kept a lot of secrets. Things in the family, things about other people in the community, they just didn't talk about. There were things I didn't know about my mother until I was in adulthood. Some things that had happened to her. I had an uncle I saw all the time. I didn't know he was an alcoholic. Certain things you just didn't talk about. They would talk about folks being sick, but back then they wouldn't use that C word cancer. There was just a stigma about it. Secrets. You know what secrets can do to you? They can eat you alive inside. They can take away so much from you. But when you can come to that point where you can share and be open with what's on your heart, what's happening in you, when you share that with somebody else, it can be such a release for you in your life now now Jesus we know he knew all people he knew them inside out but he did not commit himself to all people he did to the disciples he had that friendship closeness with them I mean, think about Nicodemus when Jesus had the encounter with him. Jesus did not immediately commit himself to Nicodemus. Now, we know something happened along the line because of what Nicodemus did when it came time for Jesus to be buried. But what was the first thing Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to do? You must be born again. Begin building that relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to have that point where he, He's so intimate. There's such an intimate relationship between Himself and every person. You know, there's all the difference in the world between just having conversation and, and fellowship and being committed to someone. Friendship means you have committed yourself 
to another person. You've really put yourself in the hands of that other person. And that's what Jesus meant when, when he said friends and friendship. All things I've heard from the Father, I've told you about them. I haven't reserved anything where that is concerned. Okay, well, what's the proof of friendship? Well, as we said a moment ago, it's committing yourself to someone else. But then Jesus said in the Scripture, Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for another. That's the proof of friendship. How much are we prepared to sacrifice for the people we call friends? How much are we willing to suffer? How much are we willing to put up with? Now, of course, when we start talking like this, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, am I willing to die for somebody? Well, there's a thousand ways of laying down your life for your friends. It's a matter of laying down our lives all the time, not just one act of dying for somebody. But it's letting something of ourselves go. It's, let, it's letting something that we have a personal interest in go and say, well, that doesn't matter. This is from our friends. This is not so important. This, this is from our friends. Friendship makes everything else unimportant. And if there is real friendship, we don't say, do I have to do that? Am I really obliged to do that? Can I get out of it? You know, that's the attitude of a lot of Christians. Why do I have to do this? A lot of other people do it. Why can't I do it? I even know Christians who do it. Is this something I really must not do? What if Jesus had taken that attitude? Friendship puts all that kind of thing away and never says, must I? Is there another way? That's laying down your life for a friend. So there are many ways of laying down our life. How do you lay down your life? It's just holding that nothing is too, in, is too valuable or too important to be kept from a friend. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how painful it is. Friendship makes it possible. Now, what's the greatest illustration in the Bible about friendship? Who was God's friend? Abraham. Remember? Abraham, friend of God. That's pretty, pretty awesome. For somebody to be called friend of God. God is saying, he's my friend. How could God call Abraham 
his friend. What made Abraham a friend of God? God came to Abraham. Said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and I want you to take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. What did Abraham say? Oh, Lord, that's just asking too much. Isaac is just too precious. He's everything to me. I can't offer him up. No, he didn't say that. I think it's wonderful what the Scripture tells us. Abraham got up early the next morning to take off and to go do this. Took a couple of servants. They had the wood. They had the fire. Isaac. They were ready to go. They saddled up and they took off. What about us? If we were facing something like that, would we get up early in the morning to go get it done? Or would we keep the covers pulled up over our head just as long as we could? Abraham rose early. What was he fixing to do? He was about to enter right into the heart of God in giving His only begotten Son and enter right into fellowship with the passion of God's heart. God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son. It was because of that Abraham was called friend of God. He entered right into the heart of God. He counted nothing too precious for the friendship of God. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And in offering Isaac, Abraham indeed laid down his life. That's the nature of friendship. Jesus proved his friendship. This is the proof. He laid down His life for us. So what's the basis of this friendship? Well, we know that Jesus very much as He moved through His ministry was looking at the cross. And Jesus knew, in spite of knowing these men inside out and how they were and what they were, He knew there would come the day when these men would stand strongly on the ground of the cross. He knew that of them. And it finally came that day that the cross had so entered into their hearts the spirit of the cross had taken possession of them and they were standing firmly on the ground. And Jesus knew that that is how it would be. Jesus was always looking to the cross and beyond and He saw that these men would stand firm there. You hold nothing but when you're facing the cross, when you're standing on the ground of the cross, you don't hold anything for yourself but only for your friend. And that was true 
of these men. But there was something else Jesus knew too. He knew the day was going to come when they were going to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That was going to come upon them. The Holy Spirit was going to take over them and possess them. And then they could really be trusted. When the Holy Spirit was going to come in them, Jesus knew then He could totally depend on them. They wouldn't be governed by anything personal. They wouldn't have any fleshly consideration. They'd live by the Spirit. They wouldn't live by the flesh. If we live on our own natural ground, then the Lord will never be able to depend on us. But if the cross has done its work down within us, in our hearts, and if we are governed by the Holy Spirit, the Lord has all the ground that He requires to commit Himself to us. And all that is necessary for Him to say, you are my friends. The disciples had a heart for the Lord. And that was the basis of his friendship. He's saying, have I got your heart? Have I got your heart? I know all about your weaknesses. I, I know about your failures. But is your whole heart on my side. Now remember Jesus said. If you do what I command you. You're my friends. So what do we do. With this friendship with Jesus. We are called to bear fruit that will abide. To bear fruit that will abide. I want to tell you five quick things. Because I dare say, every one of you sitting in here this morning, you know somebody that needs the Lord. You know somebody that needs to grow in their relationship with Jesus. You need to plant some seed. You need to do a little watering and fertilizing on their lives. Maybe you need to help them do a little pruning to help them to grow and become what Jesus wants of them. And maybe you are the person that God is asking to do that. So I want to tell you five quick things. How you can do it. And these are simply based on what Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was baptized? And when he got out of the water, the Holy Spirit took him off into the wilderness for the 40 days. And there he was fasting and praying and being tempted by the devil. But when he got through, he came back to where John was doing his preaching and teaching. And John 
pointed out to some of his disciples. He said, look, the Lamb of God. Well, that was enough to pique their interest. Along with the other things John had said, you know, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes. But these two disciples decided they'd check it out. So they went and followed Jesus and said, where are you staying? And Jesus said, here's your first invitation. Come and see. Come and see. Now an invitation like that in Jesus' day meant that they were going to go and they were going to spend the day together. They were going to sit down and talk. They were going to eat together. Just enjoy each other's company. And they spent the rest of the day with Jesus, the scripture tells us. I'm sure when John talked about the Lamb of God and the Son of God, they were, they were psyched about getting to meet this fellow. But then Jesus invited them, come and see. This is where you need to start with someone. Come and see. Do not rush over this period. It's important because there are so many people with whom we will engage. They don't know a thing about Jesus. They don't know any of the background on Jesus, who he is, where he lived, when he lived, the circumstances of his life, what he did, what he said, where he is now, what he's doing. Before people can obey and follow Jesus, they need to meet him. Spend time with Him. Experience who He is. You don't need to extend any other invitation until you have extended and acted on come and see. For Super Bowl Sunday, tell somebody, come and see. That simple. Come and see. Then the next thing Jesus did was the invitation to follow me. Follow me. On the day that Jesus left for Cana with his disciples, they were then obeying that second invitation. This was a foundational phase of Jesus' ministry. There he invited people to come and see and follow and again, we, we see him going back to the area where John was, where John had been baptizing in this, in this time period and over several months. And by this time, Jesus was gaining and baptizing a lot more people than John was. Interesting point. It was not Jesus who was doing the baptizing. It was the disciples. Now, when I realized this, I remember that time, I was thinking, that's just not right. They're not ordained ministers. The more I thought about it, the more I realized how special it was. I'll never forget talking to a fellow. He was a medic 
during Vietnam. I remember one day he told me, he said, I can't tell you how many people I baptized over the years. Wow. Right there at a point where people were in such need. And he did it. The foundation is being laid here for this movement that Jesus is setting up. And his disciples were doing what disciples do in making disciples and baptizing them. They were multiplying. That's what we've got to do. This is what we're called to do. And you have some friends who need to be in that multiplication table. When a believer answers the call to follow me, the believer is drawn into a relational phase with Jesus. You see how we're progressing? Come and see. Get to know a little bit about who Jesus is. Now, follow me. Come into that relationship with Him. And what Jesus offered to His disciples in this follow me stage was unexpected and inspiring opportunities. But all of this deepened their relationship with Jesus and it deepened their understanding of the kingdom and what Jesus was doing. And all of this. When we work to make disciples. Who are also going to make disciples. We've got to do this too. Then the third invitation that Jesus gave. Come fishing. Now don't tell Brother Marshall that in the middle of the service. He might quit and take off. I know how much he loves to fish. And we know several of the disciples were fishermen. That was their job. That's what they did. Interesting point I ran across a while back. Peter. Now we know Peter had a family. Talks about his mother-in-law. Matthew 8, Mark 1, and Luke 4. Now when Jesus... When Jesus called Peter and Peter took off with him, do you think he maybe kept in contact in some way with the folks back in the fishing district? Maybe he had some people he needed to supervise. Who was going to write the checks and pay the bills? He had his family. What this tells me, and this is a I, I realize is a very important point. We do not follow Jesus in a vacuum. That'd be great if we did, but we don't. We've got our families, maybe young kids, teenagers, maybe they're in college. Maybe you've got aging parents you're having to take care of. You've got those family issues. You've got your job. If you don't take care of your family, you've got to keep your job going. Things come up. Hey, we need you to come in today. 
I know one of my key, key leaders there at Abbeville is having to work today. He, he works with uh, Glenn Leger They're doing the roads. They've been out with so much rain, so they're having to work today to try to catch up. But what we have to be careful when we say, okay, yes, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to pray. I'm going to make sure I have time to meditate. And it doesn't take one phone call and your schedule for the day is all messed up. And then you get to the end of the day, you think, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't even get to open my Bible today. That's one good thing about having the Word in your heart. You know, you can still have it there to work on. But I didn't get to actually read it today. I didn't get to spend as much time in prayer. And then you know what happens? When we start thinking like that, here comes Satan. Oh, you're just such a bad person. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Oh, you just right. You're no good. You might as well just quit this. Just give it up. You're not going to do it. Be faithful tomorrow. You're not going to be faithful the next day. I, I'm like that. And, and I, when I get going and exercising, I get so messed up if I miss a day. I used to walk competitively. And I would get so aggravated if I had to miss a day for some reason. And I'd get all down on myself. Well, the devil will do that with us with our spiritual disciplines. The reading and the prayer and the meditating and all of that. Maybe even having to miss church sometimes. We don't follow Jesus in a vacuum. We have to live it out in the real world with everything that goes on around us. And when you realize that the devil's getting after you because you missed five minutes of what you said you was going to do, just tell him to get out of here. You don't need that mess in your life. You're going to do the best that you can to follow Jesus like you know he wants you to follow him. You don't live in a vacuum. Now, when Jesus gave the invitation to come fishing, this was a call to some on-the-job training. This was a call for them to take on a lifestyle of reaching out and calling people. To train them to fish and equip them to multiply. And they did multiply. Look what Matthew did. You can see this in Luke 5. When Jesus called Matthew, what did Matthew do? He set up a huge banquet so that the other tax collectors and a lot of his friends could come and meet Jesus. Right away, he did that. He did that. Multiplication. As disciples make disciples. That's what we're called to do in this fishing part of it. Come and see. Follow me. Come fishing.
Now, Jesus knew that the disciples were engaged with everyday concerns, just like we are, and that's why he knew that these disciples needed constant, repeated encouragement for what they were doing. So we've got these three things. Then what's the next thing we need to deal with? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. It's a radical, upside-down nature of this movement that Jesus was developing. And as, as they grew deeper and experienced Jesus and related to Him and participated in His life, He was drawing them in to the sacrificial nature of what He was doing. He, he talked about the cross many times. But he also said things like, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Upside down. Deli Jesus deliberately chose this self-denial. This last will be first, first will be last reversal. This risk. This sacrifice, Jesus chose that and it led him to the cross. We know that. And he invited his disciples to walk that with him. Jesus drew attention to his coming crucifixion. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow. This was the invitation that Jesus gave. And he set the example in the upper room when he washed the disciples' feet. And then making the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for his friends. Both disciple makers and those that lead, that they lead to discipleship must learn to walk the path of self-denial. Last thing. Jesus had been making the disciples. He had been inviting. He had been modeling. He had been equipping. Ever since He was anointed by the Holy Spirit at the time of His baptism. Folks, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. This is critical. This is critical. When Jesus came to them, He said, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed to make disciples for the kingdom. He received the Holy Spirit. We must do the same thing. We can't be like my oldest son was. He just turned 40 a few days ago. When he was three, got him an electric train. I had set it up so good. On the board, track nailed down, all the whole nine yards. Well, he started watching it when it was running on Christmas morning. And he started screaming, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. 
turned it off. He said, it sparks. He could see that little spark jumping the gap between the track and the wheel. Scared him. Well, I turned it back on. I said, that's what makes the train run, Ryan. Turn it off. Turn it off. So I turned it off. I said, I'll, I'll let him figure it out. He was a smart kid. So what he started doing, he started pushing that train around the track. Crawling around the board, pushing the track. I said, Ryan, that's why you got the electricity to run it. See where I'm going? We can't push this ourselves. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it gets done. That's how this train runs, folks. And that's the only way. Jesus had received the Holy Spirit when He was baptized. And He'd been going for three and a half years with that. And He was multiplying disciples. And now His disciples were going to do it. You've got friends out there. You've got friends out there that need to know Jesus or that need to grow in Jesus. Maybe they're at one of these levels. Maybe they need to come and see. Maybe they need the follow me invitation. Maybe they're at the point, okay, it's time for you to go fishing, friend. Okay, you've been doing good at fishing. Maybe it's time for you to work on some self-denial. Have you received the Holy Spirit? You have a friend that needs one of these invitations of Jesus where they are in their lives. And that's what you need to do. As a friend, to them as a part of your loving relationship with them to help them move on in their relationship with Jesus. You couldn't give them a greater gift. I know you've got some prayer counselors that will come forward. And if you feel the need to come forward this morning, maybe you need to come and say, hey, I, I want to come and see Jesus. I want to get to know Him. I want to grow some in Jesus. Maybe you need that. Maybe you want to come and say, <clears throat> I've got a friend and this friend has a need and I believe the Lord's calling me to go and meet, this, meet with this friend and talk to him, talk to her and help them to grow, become a disciple. Maybe you need to just come and give your heart to the Lord this morning. Whatever's going on in your life, wherever you are, this is the invitation for you to come to act out the discipleship to which you have been called in making other disciples.